Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. I'm excited to be back. Got a lot to get into. NFL playoffs starting this week. Uh, I'm going to do my top, t- my annual top 10 teams list. Let's get into it. Black Monday. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of these head coaching firings. Uh, I- I'm just so excited. Um, let's get into it. First and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favored host. Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid podcast. We've got a lot to get into. College football. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of everything today. I'm going to try to. I'm going to give you a little bit of everything today. First, uh, shouts out to all the uh, first-time listeners. Shouts out to all the regular listeners. Shouts out to all the uh, last-time listeners. <laughs> um, no, I'm really excited. So let's dive into it. Brian Flores in Miami. Let's explain that. Brian Flores in Miami. He got fired. We got to talk about that. Okay, so uh, first, let's start off with Brian Flores uh, getting fired in Miami. And, you know, I was shocked. I was appalled. I was a lot of things. I didn't I didn't expect Brian Flores. I was more so expecting Joe Judge. Um, Vic Vangio also got fired. There was a couple of other coaches that got fired. Um, there were six head coaches on Black Monday that got, that got fired. And with Brian Flores, obviously he's the most surprising one. Uh, I, you know, I didn't, I did not see that coming. He's won 19 games in the last two years. Uh, I think Miami and their re- since we've been in on this podcast, we've actually been kind of like keeping track of the Miami rebuild and how it's going because I first identified Brian Flores and I was like, he's a pretty decent coach. Comes from the Belichick tree. Uh, we often talk about the Belichick tree and. The lack of success that Bel- that Belichick's, uh, you know, a lot of his guys, a lot of his coaches under his tree don't have success. So Brian's, Brian Flores stuck out. He stuck out like a sore thumb. He was the needle in the haystack in, in terms of in terms of a Belichick disciple actually working out. And he gets fired. Now, I think a lot of people like. Just like myself, a lot of people are shocked. A lot of people are surprised. A lot of people are were, a lot of people were taken back as to why Miami fired Brian Flores. And my first initial thought, I'm gonna give you my initial thought process, and then I'm gonna just give you my overall take. My initial thought when I first found out that Brian Flores was getting fired was, well, maybe, maybe he wasn't totally on board with the Deshaun Watson trade rumors because you know Miami's front office literally for the past almost year uh have been very vocal and have been very adamant about their about their curiosity in Deshaun Watson um in his situation. So they've been he they've been his you know they've been a target of his and I, I was thinking maybe maybe Brian Flores wasn't fully on board and you know the front office, like, hey, we want Deshaun. So maybe that's maybe that's that's why I thought some of it came from. But now <clears throat> I'm thinking to myself, and I often do this, uh, you know, with the playoffs starting and starting next week. I've always looked at the quarterbacks and the teams that make the playoffs. And I don't think it's coincidental that Brian Flores, like I said, he, he had a 10-6 season last year, 
Uh, he had a, a remarkable nine and eight season last year of uh, this year, but they the Dolphins started off one and seven, and he he just he just ran off eight straight wins to finish the season. Uh, or I think eight out of the next nine games they won. Regardless, back to back winning seasons where this Dolphins franchise was literally in a rebuild, and you you consider the division that they're playing in with Belichick and the Patriots. The Bills, uh, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, like those are really, really quality teams within the division. And the mere fact that Brian Flores, back to back years, where we can make the case he's had inferior talent, especially at the quarterback position since he's taken over this job in Miami, pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. And I don't think there's no doubt. And this is, I think this is more so, this. Not all firings are the same. Not that's that's a big thing. I think not all firings are the same. There's some good coaches that have been fired, and I think Brian Flores. And it, you don't see it a lot, but Brian Flores is a he's a tremendous coach and well respected around the league. And I think anybody that has any knowledge or any franchise that have a direction and know what they're doing, I think can see. The mere fact over the last two seasons that he's won 19 games with Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick as his quarterbacks is pretty remarkable. And I say that, and that's why I say not all firings are the same. Now, let me tell you this. I think after sitting back and digesting this, I think this is a blessing and a curse. This is this is a blessing in disguise. This is a blessing in disguise for Brian Flores. Because let's be honest, the Deshaun Watson stuff, Miami, we know Miami's trying to target Deshaun Watson. But as of right now, the franchise quarterback for the Dolphins is Tua. I think, you know, I I think Tua's okay. Uh, He has some qualities that I like, but Tua isn't, he's just been a bit over, he's been underwhelming. I think it's I think we can agree that Tua has been underwhelming and I think he has a ceiling. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure if the Dolphins can win with that as their franchise quarterback. Just take a look at the quarterbacks that's made the playoffs, that made the playoffs this year. Take a look. And I, I just don't know if Tua like I'm looking at, like even a guy like Mac Jones and people think I'm hard on Mac Jones, but that's just my opinion on Mac Jones. But regardless, at least with New England, they have an elite defense, the greatest coach ever, great play caller, and Josh McDaniels. And Mac Jones, maybe his ceiling is a bit higher than what I initially thought. Tua, I don't see any type of playmaking ability I don't see any type of wow factor. He is pretty accurate, but that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. it. So I think the next opportunity that Brian Flores gets, which will be soon, I don't think Brian Flores is going to be without a job for a long time. I think he's going to get a job really soon. May not be this year, but if and if I'm Brian Flores and his agent, I'm probably. I'm probably thinking, I'm probably thinking God that he got out of the Miami situation. 
because Miami clearly as a franchise have no idea what they're doing because they they fired a really good coach, which shows me they have no idea what they're doing. This is the same Miami Dolphins that hasn't won a play, playoff game in 22 years. This is the same Miami Dolphins that's been in search of a franchise quarterback literally since Dan Marino. This is the same Miami Dolphins franchise that we're talking about. So with Brian Flores, him being a young coach, I think he was very successful given the circumstances. He was he had a successful first tender as a head coach. He will not be out of job for long. He won't. I think he will upgrade. And like I said, there's no doubt Brian Flores can coach. I don't think there I don't think a lot of people are doubting his coaching ability. Um, and you know, the way how he constructed the roster, def- especially on the defensive side of football, they made some pretty good picks on offense too. But you look at what he's done defensively for the Dolphins over the past couple years, they've been one of the best defenses. Some nice they got some nice young talent. And they got and they they just had pieces that fit his scheme. Now the way how their roster is constructed, I'm not even sure if some of the pieces that they have that were integral parts of these past two years, I'm not even sure if they fit depending on the coach that they hire. That's a whole other situation the Dolphins management have to figure out. But like I said, Tua and his lack of ceiling, I don't think Tua's ceiling is very high. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm not, I'm not, if I'm the Dolphins and I'm a Dolphins fan, I'm not feeling too good about Tua. I I play in the same division. And I, I look at this, I play in the same division as the Patriots with Matt Jones and you know Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick. I play in the same division with Josh Allen, uh, all these weapons, Sean McDermott, and we literally fired the best thing we had going for ourselves. <laughs> that was Brian Flores. Why do you think the Dolphins were able to beat the Patriots? <laughs> the Dolphins beat the Patriots twice this year. They swept the Patriots. Why do you think that was why do you think that was possible? <laughs> I think Brian Flores had a little bit to do with that. Just a little bit. Maybe he had just a little bit to do with that. So the mere fact that the Dolphins have been able to compete, I I I I don't know. But this is why, this is how you identify the bad franchises and the bad organizations throughout the league. They often make stupid decisions like this. And I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure there's going to be a team, I think, that's going to be in search of a coach. I think Brian Flores will get a job. Money is not a problem. I think he'll get a job, and I think it'll be an upgrade, and he'll get an upgrade at the quarterback position. In this league, it shows in the NFL, if you don't necessarily have a star quarterback, you're probably going to get fired in the next couple years if you don't have a star quarterback. That's what that comes down to. And Brian Flores, like I said, he he literally did everything he can. (laughs) 19 games won in the past two years with – dare I say, mediocre quarterback play in a pretty decent division as far as coaching and, you know, the teams. Like I said, 
not all fires are the same. I think this is a blessing in disguise. Um, and I think with Brian Flores, I don't think he'd be out of coaching for long. I think he'll find the right fit. And his next coaching job will probably be an upgrade from the Miami Dolphins, which is a plus for him. So um, another interesting thing that happened on Monday night, uh, obviously the national championship, college football playoff, national championship, Georgia versus Alabama. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Um, You know, both teams, these these were definitely the two best teams in college football. The first half was pretty ugly to watch um and you know i was looking i watched the sunday night game versus the raiders and the chargers that was a great game that was probably the game of the year one of the best games in the nfl season uh justin herbert showed you how unbelievable he was uh you know some controversial coaching moves and decisions that were made that people are going to heavily criticize Brandon Staley for. Derek Carr also showed his resilience. Um, And the Raiders just, I mean, through everything that they have gone through this year, for the the mere fact that Derek Carr and the Raiders are in the playoff, that's that's a great story. It's a really good feel-good story. And I feel like we always have one of those in the NFL. So watching Sunday night's game, and then watching Monday night's national championship game, like <laughs> the skill disparity, like it really showed, especially in the first half, because the first half was really, really hard to watch. Field goals, just blown assignments. And then I watched Sunday night's game, and it's just hard. It's hard for me not to think that the NFL is just, this is why the NFL is king. This, this is why the NFL is king. Mind you, these were the two best college football teams in the country. <laughs> Georgia and Alabama. These, these were the two best teams in the country. While week 18, last week of the season, I'm watching the Chargers and the Raiders. Playoff teams. Both teams are playoff caliber. The Raiders are obviously going to be playing in the playoffs. But these are certainly not the two best teams in the NFL. And the skill disparity was just amazing. Like the gap, the the plays that Justin Herbert was making was amazing. And I'm not saying, obviously, Alabama and Georgia, they have NFL guys. I'm not saying they don't have NFL guys or NFL quality guys. Georgia, they got about, I mean, just about everybody on their defense, they're going to be playing on Sundays. Obviously, Alabama, they have NFL guys. So that's, that's not the point I'm making. The point is the product the actual product that was put on the field and that I watched on Sunday night and then I turned around 24 hours later and watched on Monday night, two different things, (laughs) two different things. So when people ask me, can the best college football team beat the worst NFL team? It's like, did did you see last night's game? Did you see last night's game? And I, I thought, you know, after the first half, I thought we were going down the 2011 Alabama LSU type of national championship. Then in the second half, both teams started to score some touchdowns. Both teams started to score some points. Ultimately, 
Georgia won. So, so congratulations to the Georgia uh, Bulldogs who won a national championship for the first time, I think, in 41 years. Uh, I was highly skeptical if they can get over the hump and get that monkey off their back as far as beating Alabama. Um, and also, another point. A point that I often make on this podcast. Results-based, right? You know how everybody, society, we're just so results-based and so results-oriented and we add no context? Well, despite Georgia winning, and I, I don't want to take this – is, this isn't me taking anything for, away from Georgia, but this is just the mere fact. Nobody's going to talk about how Alabama was missing 2,000-yard receivers, their two best receivers, and their best defensive back. Nobody's going to talk about that. Nobody's going to talk about that. Everybody's going to talk about the dominant performance from George's defense. People are going to talk about how Stetson Bennett and his and his story is amazing, and they won a national championship. You know, everybody's going to talk about Kirby Smart because we're so results based. But just when it comes to adding context and contextualizing some results. I just want you guys to remember Alabama was missing two impact receivers, 2,000-yard receivers, and their best defensive back. But we're we're so results-oriented and results-based. I just wanted to point out those two things, though, about Monday night's uh, national championship game. I first saw the difference between Sunday night and Monday night in the disparity in skill. And then I often bring this up on my podcast, but results-based. We got to stop being so results-based and so results-oriented and start adding context. Because I know a lot of people going to run around, oh, Georgia won the national And, like, 10 years from now, when we're talking about Georgia beating Alabama in the national championship, people are going to fail to remember that, oh, Alabama was missing 2,000-yard receivers and their best defensive back. But after this quick break, I'll be back after this quick break. <clears throat> All right, so my weekly top 10, uh, week 18, I'm, we're going – so, by the way, Miss Note, let me give you guys this heads up. I don't think this is going to be my last top 10 list, but it might be my second-to-last top 10 list. So I know there's a lot of people's – you know, favorite segment of the week. They look forward to this, uh, seeing if their team made the cut or not. Um, you should know by this time if your team is going to make the cut, right? Like, you should know. So, this is my top 10 teams going into the playoffs after week 18. Uh, we know the seeding. We know who's going to be playing the wild card and so forth. So, these are my top 10 teams basically going into the postseason. Uh, you guys know how we get down. This is a weekly list. It can change. A lot has changed since my last top 10. Here we go. Okay, at 10, I have the Patriots. You know, the Patriots, once again, they they they, they finished with a record of 10 and 7. I predicted that correctly. Uh, I think this is the second straight year that I predicted the Patriots record correctly. And I get a lot of pushback when I talk about the Patriots. Uh, but for some reason, I just continue to be right about them. Now, this team is going to defense and coaching. That's what's going to keep them in a lot of games. That's what has kept them in a lot of games. Defense, coaching, defense, coaching. I, what I've realized over the last about six games, six weeks, Mac Jones have come back down to earth. Three and three record, uh, 79 pass rating, 
and a 60% a 60% completion percentage. So I, when I look at Mac Jones, when I look at this Patriots team, offensively, I see a team that have very little margin for error. Um, and you typically look at the games that they win, they're able to force turnovers. So for instance, this weekend when they play Buffalo, if they're able to force a couple turnovers and Josh Allen looks a little reckless with the football um, and New England's able to cash in on, on those opportunities, I think that's where it, that's where we have a door opening where New England could possibly win this playoff game. But if they can't force turnovers, um, if Mac Jones is playing from behind, because like I said, New England has a certain type of way. I've been saying it over the past couple of weeks. They have a certain type of formula that they have to follow in order to win games, especially versus teams like Buffalo, teams with basically explosive offenses that would give their defensive unit fits. So I think the key for New England is they can't play from behind. Um, that's that's just not how they're going to win a lot of games. That's not how they won a lot. That's not how they won their games. They won their games because of defense, coaching, being able to force turnovers, running the ball, controlling time of possession, Mac Jones being highly accurate, and not turning over the football. Uh, like I said, I think they're still a good team, top 10 team. Uh, like I said, I, th- I think I predicted them to have a 10 and 7 record. That's just about what the, that's just about what I thought they would be. Won a lot of games because of their defense and their coaching. Mac Jones, maybe his ceiling is a little bit higher than what I expected, but it seems like he's he's plateaued a little bit. Um, and he's come back down to earth. Patriots at 10. At number nine, I have the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, explosive offense. Like I said, they've led the league. They led the league this year in big in big plays. Uh, so according to PFF, uh, Cincinnati has the most big plays uh, offensively. And with 21, that leads the league. Joe Burrow had the most deep touchdown passes with 14. Uh, with them... They had a thousand yard. So get this: Cincinnati was very interesting this year. They had a four thousand yard passer, a thousand yard rusher, and two thousand yard receivers, and all of them were below the age of twenty six. That's the first time that's happened in NFL history. Uh, I think they have something brewing in Cincinnati with this offensive co- with this offensive core unit. Uh, defensively, a little a little sus a little suspect and spotty at times. Got some spotty defense. Um, and then their offensive line is average at best. So I think they're good enough to win a, a home game versus the Raiders. But as far as advancing to, you know, possibly winning a divisional round or getting to the AFC championship, I think their offensive line play up front on both sides, literally, um, in the trenches will have to become a little bit better and a little bit more stout. So Cincinnati, they, they can give you a lot of problems offensively, uh, especially if you try to get in a track meet with them. But I still think they're probably a year or two away from really making some serious noise in the postseason. I do think they're good enough to win a home game versus the Raiders, though. Cincinnati at nine. At number eight, I have the Rams. I have this Rams team. I'm uh, I I want them to be good so bad, but sometimes they just look awful, uh, especially offensively. I think they get a bit too pass happy. Uh, I think they get a bit too cute. Uh, offensively, and it kind of shows Matthew Stafford with some crucial turnovers. He's not played well all this month. Uh, I know we we rave and we you know we talk about his talent and some of the throws he can make and the arm talent and so forth, but 
His turnovers, I think that's what's going to make or break this Rams Super Bowl, potential Super Bowl run. Because uh, I think they're that good where they can make a Super Bowl run. But Stafford has to consistently come to play. And once again, they can't get over this 49ers hump. Turnovers may cost the Rams. Now, on the good side, on the bright side, looking at it, um, I like their coaching of Sean McVay. I think Sean McVay, <clears throat> I think Sean McVay, uh, week in, week out, is probably one of the better offensive minds in football. So that's a plus. And they also have playmakers and game changers. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, they just have guys on both sides of the football that are playmakers and game changers and that can turn around the momentum of the game. So that's what keeps them in my good graces. But the Rams and Matthew Stafford, especially Matthew Stafford's play in big spots and big moments, that's what's going to really make or break the Rams' playoff run this year. I think the Rams, there's a couple teams like the Rams and the Bills that I'm going to get to that I think they, I feel like they can beat almost anybody, but I feel like they can also lose to anybody. Um, so Rams at eight. At seven, I had to put the 49ers above the Rams. They beat them twice. They beat they 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 beat them twice. I had to put the Rams over the 49ers. Uh I mean the 49ers over the Rams, vice versa, excuse me. Uh Jimmy G is six and zero versus versus the Rams. <laughs> you know, Jimmy G we catch he catches a lot of heat and he gets criticized a lot, but when he doesn't turn over the football, the 49ers are undefeated. When he does not turn over the football, the 49ers are undefeated and they're hard to beat. Like I said, I've been saying it. I've been going to other people's podcasts. I've been saying it on my own pl- platform. And I, the 49ers, you do not want to see this team. They have an identity. They're well coached. Uh, they're, help, they're starting to get healthy on both sides of the football. Uh, and I must add, Debo Samuel might be – he might be a top 10 player this year. He might be, like, a top 10 overall player in football this year. I mean, the versatility that he displays and how Kyle Shanahan uses him is amazing. And it it seems like he's doing something new every week, whether that's catching the ball, running the ball, throwing the ball. Like, he does literally everything for San Francisco offensively. So I got the 49ers at seven. It was just hard for me not to put them above the Rams when they, like, they beat the Rams twice this year. I just couldn't do it. So 49ers at seven. At number six, I had the Cowboys. Um, a little similar to the Rams. Explosive offensively, but sometimes their offense has dry spells. Um, defensively, they can turn over the football. They have a lot of playmakers. But like I said, similar to the Rams, they have a lot of playmakers. They just have a lot of playmakers all over the place. Offense and defense. Michael Parsons, obviously Trey Diggs, Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory. Then, you know, offense, they have Dak, Zeke, Tony Pollard, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. So there's just so many play playmakers that they have where it's going to keep them in game because they're that talented on both sides. But unlike the Rams, I have my questions about the Cowboys' execution and coaching. Uh, I think their coaching can be a bit spotty at times. Um, special teams is also kind of anemic at times as, too, as well. So I, I don't know about the Cowboys. I, I think – they they like their ceiling could be NFC championship game, but would it surprise me if they lost this weekend? No. Uh, because I have a lot of questions about their coaching and their execution. The Cowboys at six. At number five, I have the Bills. The Bills, I feel like a one of those teams, the Bills, their running game is starting to get going a little bit. Josh Allen's playing well, but at times he can be a bit reckless with the ball. 
that worries me. But I think as long as he's able to clean up the reckless play, um, Buffalo's able to contain New England's running game, I think Buffalo will have a pretty good shot at winning their wild card weekend versus their division foe. Um, I think they have a pretty good shot. If if Allen can take care of the ball, if they can run the football, I think they have a pretty good shot of beating anybody, uh, really. And like I said, I think the Bills, they're one of these teams, they can beat anybody, but they can also lose to anybody. Um, we've seen some head-scratching losses this year already from them. So keep an eye on that for that. But Buffalo, they have a knockout punch where it's they're very potent. I, I think they're very scary. It wouldn't surprise me if they were playing on Super Bowl Sunday. They're that good. Buffalo at five. At number four, the Tennessee Titans. I, you know, I keep doubting this team, but you know, they're six and two versus uh playoff teams. They're six and three without Derrick Henry. Uh I thought once they lost Derrick Henry, I thought their season, I'm not gonna say go down the drain, but I didn't expect them to be sitting at the number one seed <laughs> of the ASC. And that's exactly what they have done. Ryan Tannehill and his play has been, like I said, a bit spotty at times, but he's come up in some big moments. Um, like I said, I mean, they 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 have some incredible wins. They have they they went on the road to beat LA in LA, the Rams. Uh they 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 beat Buffalo, they beat Indy. Like they have so many good wins this year. Uh, so it's just hard for me to overlook Tennessee. Defensively, they have been better than what I thought. And then Mike Vrabel, I think he might be a strong candidate and a strong front runner for coach of the year. Titans at four. At number three, uh, I have to put the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, you know, they got a lot of they got a lot of health scares. Um, a lot of guys are missing, but obviously Tom Brady having a historic year, fifty three hundred passing yards, forty five touchdowns. I mean, just incredible. Still having an elite year, arguably the MVP. But you know, and they have a their pass rush is starting to pick it up a little bit. I have my questions and my doubts about their secondary. Their secondary can be a bit iffy. Um, and you know, they, they have some spotty plays. Uh, but Tampa Bay, I feel like they're starting to get going at the right time. I'm like I said, I'm not sure if it's their year, just in spite of all of the health things like they have going on. Like they have a lot of injuries to a lot of important dudes. And I think at some point, if you're playing up against the Packers or Rams, Cowboys, I just think those type of teams, those caliber teams just have more guys. They have more dudes. Uh, so Buccaneers at three. At two, I have the Chiefs. They've won nine of the last ten games. Um, their defense <clears throat> has been phenomenal as, as you know, forcing turnovers and getting stops, like pretty good stops at times. I think with the Chiefs, their offense, it's, you know, they're they're the best third down offense. I think that's important. They're the best offense on third down, so that's key. But at times, it can go away, but I feel like they're just so over-the-top dynamic and explosive, especially, you know, at the key positions. I feel like it's just hard to doubt them, Um, and – they kind of feel like the favorites in the AFC, despite what Tennessee has done. In Tennessee, they've had a remarkable year, especially, like I said, like I just talked about it, but I feel like Kansas City, they're clicking at the right time. Could they go on the road and win an AFC championship game? I think they're I think they could. I think they're that good. I think they have enough championship DNA to do so. I got the Chiefs at two. At number one, 
the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I think they've been number one for me throughout most of the year. Throughout most of the year. And that's 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 pretty odd to say. Uh, this Packers team, I wasn't fully in love with it to begin the season. Uh, I didn't think they would be this dominant throughout the season because of all of the drama, but obviously that has not that has not phased the Packers. Uh, I don't see too many weaknesses with this team. I think the one weak, the one glaring hole, the one glaring weakness that I could really spot uh, over the past couple of weeks have been their rush defense. Like they have, they have, I have a little concern about their run defense. But other than that, the Packers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers and his touchdown to interception ratio is immaculate. Uh, Devontae Adams had another all pro caliber year. Um, and they're getting, they're getting guys back healthy on defense. On offense, Aaron Jones is back. Uh, Jair Alexander, who's a shutdown corner, premier corner in the, in the league. I think uh, the Packers, they're they're healthy. Uh, hopefully, Aaron is that foot is okay. But I don't see too many holes. I don't see too many holes. And as I said last week, I think this is a prime year for the Packers to get to the Super Bowl. Finally, it's been almost it's been ten years. <laughs> It's been a long time since Aaron has played in a big game. I think I would like to see him get back there. I think this year is probably the best year for him to get there. I got the Packers at one. Okay, so that is my top 10. Like I said, uh, I don't think that's going to be my last top 10 for this year. It might be my second to last. But regardless, that is my top 10 list. We've done a great job. this. I feel like I've done a great job this year with the top 10 list and so forth. Um, so I, I want to take some time to dispel this nomer about, and, and I know some people might, oh, you're a Cowboys fan. I'm like, okay. But I want to take the Cowboys, this whole narrative that I continue to hear constantly, the NFC East is the worst division in football. And when I hear people say that, I'm like, you realize they had two teams that got to the playoffs. <laughs> like Philadelphia was pretty good. Uh limited, I think, a bit offensively, but regardless, they won nine games and they were a pretty good football team. And then obviously the Cowboys, the Cowboys finished 12 and 5, and they're a pretty good football team. They're amongst the Super Bowl favorites. So and and, and obviously the Cowboys six and zero versus their division they were very dominant versus their division, um and six and five versus everybody else. I don't think, with that being said, I don't think the NFC East is the best. I mean, the worst division in football. I think the AFC. I look at the AFC South. AFC South <laughs> had one team make it. The Colts were, I mean, as much as I like their roster. They lost to Jacksonville. Jacksonville wasn't that good this year. The Houston Texans wasn't that good this year. I think the AFC South might be the worst division in football. Or how about we try the NFC North? The NFC North, they had one team make it this year, which was the Packers. Everybody else was were bad. The Vikings fired their coach, Mike Zimmer, and their GM. The Vikings have been underwhelming and underachieving for the past couple of years. The Chicago Bears, they fired their GM and their coach. They have been underachieving and underwhelming for the past couple of years. And then obviously the Lions. The Lions, they're bad, but they kind of feel like a feel-good story. 
they're one of the feel good stories in the NFL. But regardless, they're bad too. So when I, when I hear people talk about how bad the NFC East is and how it's the worst division, and then they they obviously I don't know why they, I don't know why we got to do this and you know, but obviously they got to just they 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 take a hit on the Cowboys. It's often a criticism and it's often a con and a negative against the Cowboys because they play in the NFC East. And I I don't know why we do that. I feel like it's because it's a Cowboy thing. But regardless, we I feel like we nitpick with the Cowboys. Um, maybe because I, and I think it's because of all of the media and national coverage that they get, and it's the Cowboys. But <laughs> I mean, we gotta stop. The NFC East is not the worst division in football. Is it the best? Now, by any means, I'm not saying it's the best, but it's not the worst. I just gave you two divisions that were pretty bad this year. And then I'm looking, you know, I can I can probably name one more maybe. I mean, the NFC South, the a- like I think there's a couple there's a couple of divisions that's like arguable, like that you could argue the NFC the NFC East might be better than the AFC North. I mean, the AFC North, you know, Lamar got hurt in the COVID stuff. So Baltimore, Baltimore, if they were healthy, I think they probably would have made the playoffs. But this whole narrative that the NFC East is just the worst division in football, and it's just it's just so bad, it's just so horrific. I just think it's it's totally overblown because I feel like first Dallas was just so dominant, it's just overblown. But this. In general, it's overblown. <laughs> it's overblown. Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Houston. Like I said, I like Indianapolis roster, but they didn't make the playoffs. NFC East had two teams make the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs. NFC didn't. Hey, the Colts didn't make the playoffs. Jacksonville, horrible. And then Houston, I don't know what's in the water in Houston. Houston just suck overall. So when I hear people say uh, the NFC East is the worst division, I just just scratch my head. I'm uh, I don't know. I just question. I'm like, have you not seen the NFC North? Have you not seen the coaching moves and the firings that has been made? Half of it has come from the NFC North. <laughs> Chicago, Minnesota. <laughs> Okay, and those teams are better. That division is better than NFC East. You telling me the NFC North is better than NFC East? Give me a break. Come on. Uh, I think we're only. I think a lot of this whole narrative that we're feeding into the NFC East being the quote unquote worst worst division is the Dallas Cowboys, which is very dominant versus the NFC East, and we just have to find something to like delegitimize how good they are. I think I think that's the bottom line. I think that's what it comes down to. Um because the NFC North, you can't you're going to tell me the like obviously Washington wasn't they weren't a playoff team, but Washington they've been struggling to find a quarterback, but a lot of people had the Washington football team being pretty decent this year. A lot of people had the now the Giants they were bad. I'm not going to be able to defend that. The Giants were bad. But this whole narrative that the NFC East is the worst division, I think it's totally wrong. And I just question, I'm looking at some other divisions. I'm like, that division is as bad or if not worse. 
but that's neither here or there. All right. So I did um I did my top ten list and I you know next week I can't actually I can't wait for whenever well I'm trying to see. Yeah, next week. Next week I can't actually wait to actually talk about and discuss and break down some of these wild card games that we're gonna see and watch. But I wanna before I even close out, <clears throat> it's been a topic that has been coming up and especially I feel like I talked about uh Brian Flores getting fired and some other coaches getting fired. I guess this is the perfect time to talk about it, especially as the college football season just ended on Monday. And that is Jim Hallball possibly leaving for an NFL job. Let me tell you guys this. I have been you guys know how I go about Jim Hallball. I've been a huge Jim Hallball Jim Hallball supporter from day one. Um, and literally everywhere this guy has gone, he's succeeded. San Diego State, uh, Stafford, uh, 49ers, and now Michigan. And my support for him at Michigan has always been, first, I always have said it. I think the Michigan fan base, and I think it's, uh, I think the higher-ups of Michigan somewhat, can be somewhat delusional. Because they think because of their brand and the big brand and the notoriety, they think that should equal they should be having equal talent and an equal chance uh, and, and just about the same respect like an Ohio State or an Alabama or Georgia gets. And the truth is they're they're just not on that level. Now, with Hallball having the best year, his best year at Michigan up to date. Me personally, I think he should probably, I have no problem with him having any interest in an NFL job. And if you were to ask me, should he take an NFL job? I think he should take an NFL job. I think it has to be the right job. Um, but I think there's a couple jobs that are very fascinating. I think there's a couple places that's really interesting. I think him in Denver would be interesting. If Denver can somehow, you know, figure out the quarterback situation, maybe in free agency or in the draft, more likely I, I would like to see Denver, would, you know, get uh, a veteran quarterback or a star quarterback in free agency uh, or, or via trade somehow. I think Hallball with that roster, what they have, the, the tools that they have on defense, uh, Denver as a franchise, as an organization, as a front office, you know, they're well-respected. I wouldn't mind seeing Jim Hallball in Denver. And I think with Jim Hallball, you know, now just because I say he should take an NFL job, that don't mean he is. I think right now in Michigan, he's comfortable. He's back in his alma mater. His family's comfortable. He's been there for, what, six years now? And like I said, this is his best year up to date. But I feel like with Michigan – or Hallball at Michigan, this year, I don't think it gets any better than this year. Because as 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 happy as I was that Michigan and Jim Hallball finally got over the hump versus Ohio State, just because they beat Ohio State this year, next year Michigan will be underdogs versus Ohio State. And it's gonna be it's gonna continue to be like that. Because at the rate, because I don't know, I don't know if you guys like truly, truly understand, but the recruiting level that Ohio State is, or the 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 or the, the level that they're recruiting, versus 
Michigan and the other quality teams in the Big Ten, it's almost night and day. Like, Ohio State is just on a different level. They're on the same class and ground as Alabama and Georgia as far as recruiting. Like, Ohio State, they're getting they're getting dudes left and right. And to be fair, granted, Michigan had a great year this year. Jim Hallball had a great year this year. He won Coach of the Year. He won the Big Ten. And I was excited. You guys know I was excited for Jim Hallball. I was excited for Jim Hallball. And I think – that was it was great. And it was good to see Michigan actually make the college football playoff. But is it like how much better can Michigan really get? How much more progress can Michigan really make? Because for me personally, just this is just my opinion. This is just little old me, my opinion. I just don't think Ohio, I, I just don't think year in, year out, Michigan can consistently beat Ohio State. And, you know, I'm not going to say it hurts me, but it's the harsh reality. It's the harsh truth of this whole Michigan with Hallball at Michigan where, like, to be honest with you, it may be another two or three years before Michigan beats Ohio State because Ohio State just, like, CJ Stroud is going to get better. Ohio State is going to continue to bring in dudes. They got a lot of They got some dudes returning. I expect Ohio State defense to be better. Ah, Michigan, Michigan is losing a couple of valuable dudes. So I, I don't know. I don't like, I think Hallball, I'm not going to say it's ran its course at Michigan, but I feel like have Hallball reached his potential ceiling at Michigan? More than likely, yes. Now, I'm sure with this year that he's had, Michigan is will be more than happy to have him back. I know he got a whole new coaching staff. And if I was to bet, if I was to really, like, gamble, if I was a betting man, I would probably bet that he stays at Michigan this year. But I do think it's very intriguing and, and very fascinating that he is he's – he's alluded to the fact that he's interested in NFL jobs, and I think – Looking at the landscape right now, I think there's a couple of NFL jobs that make sense. I think there's a couple NFL jobs that make sense. And the one thing about Hallball, you know, hate him, like him, don't like his personality. The one thing you can't take away from him is he succeeds everywhere he goes. He's successful and he wins literally everywhere he goes. Like I said, from San Diego State to Stafford, to to the 49ers, to to the, to Michigan, he wins everywhere he goes. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. And he's had success. He's not one of these, like, he's not an Urban Meyer, right? Like, he's one of the college co- He's one of the few college coaches that's had success. The reason why, the reason why the whole 49ers thing went downhill is because he kind of wore out his welcome. He was, you know, his personality is bigger. It, it was, it was a lot. It was big, so he kind of wore out his welcome. But I think Hallball, you know, Michigan. He was twelve and two this year. Got to the Orange Bowl. Got to the college football playoff. Won the Big Ten. Beat Ohio State. I feel like it really doesn't get any better than that. 
And I know the Michigan, I know the Michigan faithful, not gonna want to hear that, but like that's just the truth. Like <laughs> that's just the truth. I don't know if Hallball, I don't know if he can get to another level at Michigan. I think this is that's that's Michigan's ceiling. In terms of the foreseeable future, like because I'm just looking at the recruiting and the recruitment and the level that Ohio State is doing it at. And, you know, you look at obviously Georgia and Alabama, and then I'm telling you guys, USC is going to become a major player in the next year or two in terms, excuse me, in terms of recruiting and being one of the notable football powers in the nation, in the country. I, I I think I just think that I think that's going to happen really quickly for USC, especially with Lincoln Riley there. So, you know, I think I think Hallball, I think he's taking NFL jobs seriously. I think he should. And hell, I think there's a couple jobs that make sense. Chicago, the Chicago job, maybe the, I think the Denver job. I find the Denver spot and location very interesting. but. That's my take. I think because a lot of people have been asking me about Michigan and Hallball because they wanted me to talk about Michigan and the Georgia laws. So I think Hallball, him entertaining NFL jobs and him possibly or, you know, there's the potential possibility that he could leave Michigan for NFL job. I don't think it's too far fetched. I don't think it would necessarily be the wrong move. and. He could stay at Michigan and, you know, continue to do what he's been doing, winning 10 games a year, because that's what that's literally what Michigan is. I think and I think the sooner the Michigan faithful come to accepting that, I think they will be fine. But that's literally what Michigan is. Obviously. Bochan, even with Bo Beckler, Bo Beckler, they won the national championship with Bo Beckler, but they didn't win. They didn't run off three, four, five national championships with Bo Beckler. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't. So, um, obviously the nineteen ninety seven team, uh, but that's what Michigan is. I they 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 are when they have the right coach, they are a ten win. On a yearly basis, they're a 10-win program. And occasionally, they may have a great team and they can make a deep run for a national championship like they did this year. You know, I think that's what they are. I think the sooner people come to grips to it with that, I think the sooner this whole thing of Michigan football, and it's the brand. It's, the, it's, it's, it's clearly the Michigan brand and how big it is. But just because you have a big brand, just because you're a big brand, just because you have a no lot, of, just because you have a lot of notoriety, doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the same level in the same plateau as an Ohio State or an Alabama. Because just recruiting wise, it's they're just on a different level. They're just on a different level. Those those are superpowers. So I'm going to end it right here. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, Like I said, I can't wait to actually break down some playoff games, really analyze some playoff games. Super wild card weekend that they're calling it. (laughs) Super wild card weekend. We got a game on Saturday. We got games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So there'll be a lot to talk about on next week's episode. Uh, I'm not – I may 
mm, I may do a Friday episode. I'm not sure. But uh, maybe I could bring somebody on. I don't know. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Uh, like I said, hope you guys enjoyed it. For all the first-time listeners, for all the last-time listeners, all the regular listeners, um, uh, I'll see you guys. <laughs> Peace. Deuces. I'm out.